Hello, I'm Dan. And I'm Simon. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article and we talk about what we find. Simon, what are we talking about this week? This week, Dan, we're talking about Kaplu Palace. Kaplu Palace. It's actually a really interesting looking article, this. Genuinely, as per the rules of Clark Tholicism, I have only clicked random article once. And we've ended up on Kaplu Palace, locally known as Yabgogar, meaning the Fort of Doxa, is an old fort and palace located in Kaplu in the Gilgit-Baltistan region of northern Pakistan. I see. So the palace, considered an architectural heritage and tourist attraction, was built in the mid-19th century, replacing an earlier fort nearby. It served as a royal residence for the Raha of Kaplu, I've got to say, I've never heard of Kaplu before. No, nor have I. When you said Kaplu, I was thinking, like, I don't know, somewhere like India, Bangladesh, somewhere like that, you know, not yeah, so, Pakistan. So, well, I mean, it's not a million miles away. I mean, it shares like a lexical, um, it's still proto-Indo-European. So, mm. you know, like and that eastern end of it. Um, so Kaplu is an administ- oh god uh oh, okay so it's a city that is the capital of the kanch region mm-hmm. of pakistan which is the easternmost district of pakistan basically um and it's 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 like um it's quite tibetan looking Oh, well, because obviously it's very geographically close, but it's it's weird. I don't, we don't normally do this, but I would invite you to have a look at a picture of the Kaplu Palace. I I describe this as weirdly kind of Tibet meets Morocco. Oh yeah, I see what you mean. Right. It's I think it's the um, well, I guess obviously the the architecture is going to be uh, Islamic in nature because of being in Pakistan, um, and so you do get the like the the way that the tops of the wind well they're not windows are they i guess they're well are they windows just because they don't have glass in the tops of the holes in the walls i guess you could almost if you were to liken them to a a more kind of like eurocentric architectural term you could call them like a mullion oh get you with your fancy terminology yeah yeah i mean that i I think i think even mullion is totally inappropriate in that context (laughs) but but you know like when you see a nice um a nice kind of stone cottage and the windows are like bordered with stone it's glass against stone that that kind of stone border is called a mullion it's also a village in cornwall which i think i've actually been to with pixel girl oh right oh yeah i've been there pixel girl and i walked through there last um last year <laughs> i thought i recognized okay. the name but not, you know, as an architect, because I'm not that fancy. I haven't had your kind of fancy education, Dan, with like your humanities <laughs> degrees and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, Pixel Girls just wandered in. Who are you talking to? I'm talking to Dan. We're recording an episode, but we're not live this time. <laughs> just just so you're aware. Tell her I say hello. Hi, Dan. Hi, uh, Pixel Girl. Dan says hello, Pixel Girl. I nearly said her name then, but I didn't because I'm being good. You're a professional. I am. How was your lesson, darling fiance? It's pretty dull. Good. No, it was good. It was good. It was good. Okay, excellent. Why are you here? Going on a walk to get some milk. You're going on a walk to get some milk. Fantastic. Are you having a strong? Are you okay? <laughs> what was that laugh? <laughs> You're enjoying your Christmas. I am in the middle of working right now. I don't come down to your lessons and start. It doesn't look like it. Savage. I'm literally recording an episode right now. Is this work? Yes, it is work. People pay us to do this. Don't just walk off laughing like a Bond villain. I don't walk, I welk. Sorry, don't welk off laughing. Or barnacle off laughing. Right, anyway, back to the show. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed that guest appearance. Kaplu Palace. Yeah, Kaplu Palace. So basically, we've actually kind of said a lot of what there is to say about it, to be honest. Like, it was built in the mid-19th century um, after the Dogra of Kashmir. Oh, that's interesting. I guess that has a common root with Doge. Like, Sorry, did Doge you just say the, uh, the the Dogger of Kashmir? <laughs> the Dogra. Dogra. Oh, the Dogra. Oh, I see. Golly, you've got to be was careful. A, was a Rajput Hindu dynasty that formed the royal house of Jammu and Kashmir. Okay. All of these are words I don't know. Um, mm. 
who captured the region, decided to move the seat of government from the forts, so they built a new building. Oh, that's interesting. The Yagbo, the Yabgo, even, descendants continued to live there even after their kingdom was abolished in 1972. The last Raha of Kaplu, who lived in the house, died in 1983. It's, that is, that, that part of the world definitely has a kind of mis... Well, I guess this is Orientalism writ large, basically, isn't it? But it has like a kind of mystery associated with it, right? That like you have a Raha who lived there in the 80s it seems like it's so anachronistic. It's something that should have existed centuries ago and obviously did, but that somehow still survived to the present day. Mm. It's like we talked about this before, actually, about how we'd read the uh, the Kite Runner. Oh, yeah. And that, that has a very similar kind of feel to it, that it's a lot of these traditions that seems, well, that are ancient, but somehow just about survived into the present day. But, of course, that's then complicated by the, um, you know, the, the Taliban kind of coming in and screwing everything up. Yeah. As we see it. <laughs> Complicated, to put it politely. Yes, the co- the complications of the Taliban. Yes. The, with Jackie f***ing Weaver. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jackie Weaver. Absolutely incredible. The mo- <laughs> so, for those of you who uh, perhaps missed this or are not from the UK, I will include a clip of the single best parish meeting that's ever happened and this went viral the i think the day possibly that we're filming this maybe yesterday and it's just amazing you disrupt this meeting i will have to remove you from it you can't it's only the chairman who can remove people from a meeting you have no authority here jackie weaver no authority at all she's just kicked him out Don't. This is a meeting called by two councillors. Illegally. They now elect a chairman. No, they can't because the vice chair's here. I take charge. Uh, Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them. (gasps) Dear me. What what did I call it earlier? The, The church hall putsch. Yeah. <laughs> Jackie Weaver trying to take over. Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them. Like I just, oh god, I love this country so much sometimes because it's so petty. Oh, and, and it really is. It editing really is. the last episode, we were talking about the Cod Wars, about how these are the people that think we're a bold and an ambitious and important nation. Also, mm. shout things like, "Read the standing orders." So for those for those who don't know what we're talking about, this is Handforth Parish Parish Council. Um, there is a there's a video that's gone out online um, of uh, of a Zoom meeting uh, for this parish council. It gives me hot fuzz vibes. Yeah, totally, totally. It's the cast of characters. They're all old. They're all, actually they're not all old. There's one guy who's middle aged. They're all white. They've all got white hair. Apart from Julie's iPad, which is just a black screen with Julie's iPad on it. And, oh, you're totally... Hot Fuzz is exactly right. It's so... It's so little... San, it's the village... That's Sandford, isn't it? In Yes, um, which... fun. This is a classic Simon fact that I definitely told you before. Uh, Hot Fuzz is set in Sandford because that is the village that all police training DVDs were uh, was set in. Oh, I see. There you go. And it's also like a very picturesque little village in the West Country, but they used wells to film most of it. A little uh, nugget of information. Because I, I, I was streaming last night and it was Spiffing Brick came in the chat and I said something and Spiff was just like, that's a classic Simon fact. Like, I have yeah. these few facts that I keep trotting out. Yeah. I've only got so much interesting stuff, Dan, and I've talked too much. Tell me something interesting about what's going on with your life, Dan. How are you? Golly, well, my life is just law, law and more law. He's a um, law master, you might say. Well, yeah. Not just of World of Warcraft now. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is L-A-W, not L-O-R-E. Um, this week I have been focusing on ethics and professional legal practice, tort and contract law. I have an exam next week and I've just received a document outlining exam guidance for June where I'll be sitting my contract law, public law, Taught law and another one that escapes me. <laughs> I mean, don't ask me for help. I am I, my my concept of of legal of, of law is just nout. I I literally it's fascinating. It's really fascinating. I I sent a here's a okay here's a little 
anecdote. Um, let me go and grab my. Let me go and grab my binder. Oh god, here we and go. I'll, He's uh, become a lawyer. <laughs> I'll, uh, I just want to make sure that I'm. Uh, the British legal eagle is here. Yeah. So, hey everybody, it's time to think like an English lawyer. It's quite a big binder. So, you've tried it's to take big... over a parish council. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, this is within tort law. Now, tort, as we all know, are civil wrongs. Um, and we're specifically dealing with um, negligence. When dealing with negligence, uh, which is a breach of duty of care owed to a claimant that results in harm to the claimant undesired by the defendant. You've got to consider uh, whether where the duty of care is, whether it's established duty or novel duty, and whether there's been a breach um, in the standard of care and a breach of that duty of care. Now, one of the things that I came across in reading was something called the Civil Evidence Act 1968. Uh, which says uh, in section 11, any defendant who has been convicted of a criminal offence is presumed in any subsequent civil proceeding to have committed that offence. Now, basically what that means is that if you've got a record, a criminal record, or you've been convicted of any kind of criminal case, if, it, if in a subsequent civil case, you've already got something that can potentially work against you, which is interesting because... In I think it's I think it's Article Two of the Human Rights Act. Your uh, hang on, let me find it here. Here we go. Um, in Article Six, sorry, you have a right to a fair trial, which is interesting because in my immediate thought, well, hang on, that's something that goes slightly against a human right. If you've got something that could potentially be kind of working against you in a case um, unduly or you're, or you're, or that you're kind of being held to us an unfair standard because of your because of a record in your past and this led me to email a tutor of mine and um, and go on a big kind of ramble about how you can reconcile the two and it's just quite interesting so, I mean I mean having thought about it actually they they do kind of work hand in hand because a right to a fair trial you could argue that well if somebody has committed a criminal offence before then it's fair to take that previous kind of malfeasance into account um but yeah the civil evidence act 1968 pretty cool do you do this thing that like I I do this whenever I talk to anybody for too long in a single stretch that my brain just checks out like I'm hearing but I'm not listening yeah well I do that when, you know when you're talking yeah I do that all the time but like I, I, as soon as you it's funny as soon as you started talking about law my brain just went <laughs> yeah straight off just straight, I was it's like that I'm clip not of, um, the shutters come down Homer and the little brass the little brass monkey <laughs> that kind of starts going off in his head you suddenly check back and yeah eventually it just like points <laughs> it's like no listen i did this with my therapist the other day like I, I by the end of the hour i'm just like oh god it's happening my brain is slowly drifting out of my body so i, I mean I, I i think it's fantastic that you um that you're doing this i it's just something that i cannot wrap my head around law stuff i mean what is it do you think that appeals to you about it because obviously there's some fundamental difference between me and you in terms of how we're looking at this subject i think certainly for me one of the things that makes studying our legal system so interesting is that we have a we have a system that's built on the common law or case law um whereby the kind of the it rules by what's called the rule of precedent so Cases that have gone before um, guide cases that come after. And that's why there's such an enormous kind of focus on when you're looking at kind of um, constructing a case, civil or criminal, um, you look back to all of these cases that have gone before and you see how those cases can support you now. And, and, and that's been going on for like centuries. So for instance, I was looking at some I was looking at some stuff the other day. 
I'm going to get. I'm reaching for the binder again. Oh, no. um, I was looking at some stuff. I was looking at some stuff the other day. Welcome to Binder Corner, everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's beautifully ordered. Um, where is it? Here we go. You're, you're looking at. You'll be looking at cases that happened in I don't know, like 1839, and and the more that case is referenced in court um, proceedings after the fact, the the more kind of power that case has um, and the harder it is for a judge to exercise kind of judicial review or consideration as to why they're not going to you you know so for instance let's say that um, there is in uh, in 1820 two brothers Harrington and Harrington um, got into a bit of a spat and one brother wanted to sell a horse to the other or rather one brother wanted to buy that horse off the other person and in some written communication it says um we spoke last week um and you said that i could have that horse however since speaking to you i haven't heard anything if i hear nothing by this friday i will assume the horse is mine and this again 1820 Mm -hmm. right now that that came and went and on that Friday the brother tried to take the horse the other brother said well no I haven't said you could have it and one brother goes well I wrote to you and said if I don't hear from you then I'm taking the horse as mine I'm taking you to agreeing to the offer this is kind of going into this is contract law now um, with the ideas of like what is an offer and what is acceptance Um, (laughs) and and what a court decided was you cannot take the silence of an offeree um, to be accepting to the deals of, of an offerer, and that is that's like set in stone now. But since that, they also are things called like the postal rule, which means that if, say, you're moving house, and uh, in this new house, it's an old house, it's lovely, but it's an old house, and you need a new boiler. Uh, so to get rid of the old boiler, you need to hire a skip. Now, fortunately for you, I. I'm a man who has a skip company. If you want a skip, you can have the skip from me. How tall so you, is Lord Imhotep? <laughs> you, you call me. You call me and say I want a skip. Right. And I go great. Yeah. Okay. You can have this skip. Um, it's going to be ninety pounds, including VAT. But if you want this skip, I need to hear from you um, in three days' time. If, you, if I don't hear, you, hear from you in three days' time, I, I, you know, I, I, the skip will probably have gone to somebody else. Wait, but how long, I, how long is that, am demand. I getting that skip for? For £90? Oh, you're, I don't know, like, however, lo- however long you need it. Typically, it'll be about, like, what, a day? How much is a reasonable rate for a skip hire? I don't know, I think it's between, like, 90 and 150 or probably or something like that. Depends on how, depends on the, depends on the size of the skip. All right. Um, this is besides the, the point. The, We're talking about law, not skips. No, no, no. This is, size no, this, of this, average this, skip. Let me just Google this. This is precisely where we differ. This is where our minds differ. I'm interested in the legal precedent behind and using a skip as an example. You now want to know the average volumetric capacity of UK skips. Right. Well, interestingly, it's eight cubic yards, which is a f- stupid well, measurement. Right. Eight that's cubic brilliant. yards. Uh, cubic yard skip. Yes. Skip. Rent price higher price here we go i want to see if i'm being fleeced by your skip company okay the average price in the uk including vat to hire a six yard skip is 226 pound and for an eight yard skip it is only 253 pounds but that's okay so when i so when i said 90 including vat are you still going to kick up a stink about that being comically cheap or shall i up the price but i don't know if that price is for a year you haven't set a period of time i think you're missing you know elements of this contract down that we're going for well i'm not missing elements because i'm dictating to you what the contract is (laughs) right yeah yeah, yeah, (laughs) so i can't miss anything this is why right i'm gonna call my lawyer hang on where's devon i need to get i need to get legal legal on this you're not you're not specifying how long i get this skip for what do you put it? Oh my gosh! This is so besides the point. I'm trying to tell you an interesting thing about the postal rule because I bet it's something that you wouldn't think is true. Do you know that if you you could fit eighty or more bin bags in an eight yard skip? That's that's great. What about what about the boiler in this in this kind of analogy that I'm trying to go, do to educate? Oh, you could definitely fit a boiler. I mean, that's that's just trivial. But what uh, what I'm trying to do is is like per, per day. Is that a price per day? How long do you want the skip for, Simon? Uh, oh, God, I don't know. I and mean, if you're moving house, like, 
I guess like a week to be on the safe side. Okay, if you've got it for a week. So, hang, right, okay, I'm just, how much to hire a skip? Hire duration, right, okay. An eight yard skip, is, is that's, a, that's a month that you normally get it for. So for 90 pounds, I would expect to to have that for like two weeks. So 90 pounds okay, for two weeks. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Yeah, all right. Now, today Do I is- Do insurance for the skip? Like what happens if something happens to stuff that I'm transporting in the skip? That can be outlined at a later date. For the purposes of this analogy, we don't need to go into such kind of nitty gritty detail. Right. Let's say that today is Monday, which it isn't because we don't want to date this podcast. But let's say that it is. I'm saying to you, you can have this skip for two weeks for £90. But I need to hear from you on Wednesday, no later than Wednesday, because as I say, my skips are in high demand. And if I don't hear which from you, Wednesday? then I'm going to assume you don't want it. Wednesday in three days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's two days. Well, I called you in the morning, so you've got all all day Monday, all day Tuesday, and all day right. Wednesday. So are you That's saying three days. end of day Wednesday? Yeah, end of close, end of play. But when do you stop working? <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> Give me strength. Give me strength. <laughs> okay, so the point is, you agree. Let's just say that you yeah, agree. Sure, why because not? that makes everything that makes everything easier. You you go, okay, right, I'll have a think. And I'm, uh, yes, actually, I'm going to take you up on that offer. So what you do is you write me a letter because you tried calling the office and you can't get hold of me. Yeah. And you write me a letter saying, yes, I agree to those terms. Now, interestingly, the whole point around kind of like contract law is to whether and you've got to establish whether an offer was like properly accepted or not. And that can be like verbal or written or whatever. Now, the postal rule says that an offer is accepted when the letter is posted, not when the letter is received. Oh. So if you, yeah, right, which is crazy. Now, the postal rule in this instance wouldn't apply because I specifically said, I need to hear from you by Wednesday in three days time. And it would be unreasonable to expect a, for me to receive a letter within that short period of time. If I just said, I need to hear from you, um, or if I hadn't said that at all, if I just said like, oh yeah, well, let me know. And then you call me on Wednesday saying, oh yeah, I wanted that skip. I sent you a letter, but I didn't get a reply. If I said, well, I hadn't received it, that would have no legal power in court. Because if I you had, had it. dated and posted it correctly, then that's when the offer is agreed. It's not when I receive it. Which I think is quite interesting because I would have assumed I would have had to, me being the offeror, you, mm. I would have had to have received it and gone like, oh, right, he's saying he's accepting it. Um, but the postal rule says no, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Listeners, what you've just had there is a 10-minute ramble about me wanting to just to quickly demonstrate something with the analogy of hiring a skip. And what you got was a good 10 minutes of the nitty gritties of hiring skips that don't actually exist. <laughs> no, 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 no. If you want to dispose of 80 or, or more... Dare I, dare I might remind you, 80 or more standard bin bags are presumably filled with like a fluid of some kind because, you know, like the geometry is probably important. You can fit them in a skip that you can hire for £220 for 30 days, for a month. I, I'm alarmed at the specification of or presumably filled with a fluid. Well, no, no, because you want them to deform. That's a hell of a lot of fluid. But, but you know, as in like the, it will behave as a viscous fluid. Like if you have general household waste, it deforms what if it's, to whatever what shape. What if it's non-Newtonian? Oh, like an oobleck. Like, did I tell yeah. you this? When Pixel Girl, uh, she's been running a Spanish cookery club for her students as like an extracurricular activity. And right. she wanted to make... Um, Oh God! It wasn't empanadas. It was like torrijas, which are ba which are kind of like um, what like basically like Cornish pasties, really. They're, They're like basically pasties. like a skip. Imagine <laughs> a skip. <laughs> and she um basically she mixed up cornmeal and corn flour, and so she was trying to make this dough. And I was filming this on camera, and she was just panicking because it wasn't forming a dough. It was just forming slime. <laughs> Like an oobleck. Right. It's non-Newtonian fluid. So that if whenever she tried to like sponge it together, it went really solid. And then it just tripped mm. through her fingers. But her solution yeah. was like, I just add more water. It'll be fine. Keep adding more water. <laughs> like, Incredible. So yes, that was that was how, how she learned that there is a difference between corn meal and corn flour. But you know, you had to learn at some point. So um yeah, so basically what I was what I meant by that was like a really 
viscous fluid because like the, the the rubbish is going to deform to whatever container you put it in whereas if you if you're filling mm-hmm. a bin bag with i don't know garden waste like branches then that's that's not going to do that's 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 not an optimal you know configuration mm. so the capley palace was renovated uh, by the aga khan trust for culture <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was. No. Oh, and the rescue and renovation of the palace was commended by Virgin Holidays for having social and economic effects on the locals of the area. Virgin Holidays. Brilliant. Wow. This is a really lovely building, and I feel like we haven't really appreciated it. Do yourself a favour, a lovely reader at home. Go and Google a picture of the Kaplu Palace, or just go on the wiki article. There's a link, always in the show notes, there's a link to the um, the article. And check it out, because it's a really nice building. It's quite small. It's like, what, three stories, and it's maybe a swimming pool in width? But like the length of a swimming pool, like a standard, not an Olympic, but a standard swimming pool in width. Think of a skip. Think yeah. of the length and width of a skip. Who and then, and then in- imagine filling, filling a swimming pool with those skips, and you've probably got a pretty close idea. Who measures things in cubic yards? I've never heard of anyone, even in like America, using this nonsense unit. Why, why cubic yards? Oh, here we go, Dan. Uh, let, me, let me post this picture in our, in our Discord. Of, if you want to get a sense of how big a cubic yard is, these are, the cubic, these are the skips for you. So a standard skip is eight cubic yards, so slightly smaller than that skip on the left. Right. You know what the irony is, Dan? This is the episode that people will be skipping through the most. Ah, very good. Extra 30 seconds. Very good. They're still talking about f***ing skips. Yeah, okay, just just mash that forward (laughs) by 30 seconds. For the rest of this podcast, even when we've moved on from the topics of skips, every 30 seconds can one of us say the word skip. Yeah. Just to give the illusion that we never moved on. What's that, skip? Did you ever watch skip? uh, (laughs) Timmy's gone and fallen down the well. (laughs) How do you even make the noise of a kangaroo? (laughs) It was like that. (laughs) Skippy the um, Skipper the Bush Dolphin. <laughs> what's yeah. that? I don't know what's happened to your dolphin. You might want to go and get it. You might want to return that dolphin. I think there's something wrong with it. <laughs> That's why you need the skip. Yeah. <laughs> Full circle. Brilliant. Fantastic. <laughs> this podcast. Oh, Can you boy. tell that it's... We did say we didn't want to date this podcast, but it is a Friday. Can you tell that we're both completely kind of mentally drained? We're out of it. We're totally out of it. Yeah. Right, quick, Dan. We need to rescue this podcast at some point. I'm going to... I'm, I'm pulling the lever on the, 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 the track problem, and I'm going to divert you into Dan's choral piece of the week. What is it? And this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please. I'm so glad you've diverted us to the the choral piece of the week because you're getting a poem instead. Right. Okay. Quick. I'm pulling the put the put the lever back. It's no. It's stuck. Oh god. <laughs> oh no. Clutch down. Clutch down, and then try and change. Go on. So lay your silver tongue on me. Not long ago, I received a lovely book from a friend, and it was uh, collected works of a poet called George Mackay Brown. I've heard that. Um, he was born in Stromness, Orkney, uh, on the 17th of October 1921. He was educated at Stromness Academy, New Battle Abbey College, and Edinburgh University, from which he graduated with an MA in 1960. Um, I don't want to... I'm not going to give you a whole big thing about his biography, because we don't need it. Anyway, I'm going to read you a, one of his poems. And the poem is called The Finished House. It's very... He's got very... No, don't you dare. Don't you dare. I'll, I'll start quoting William McGonagall. I will. <laughs> oh, no, that, that's, that's the way to keep me here. Right. So this poem is called The Finished House by George Mackay Brown. In the finished house, a flame is brought to the hearth. Then a table between a door and a window where a stranger will eat before the men of the house. A bed is laid in a secret corner from three agonies, love, birth, death that are made beautiful with ceremony. The neighbours come with gifts, a set of cups, a calendar, some chairs, a fiddle is hung at the wall. A girl puts lucky salt in a dish. The cupboard will have its loaf and bottle come winter. On the seventh morning, one spills water of blessing over the threshold. There you go. That's George McKay Brown. I haven't come across 
much of his stuff at all and I really like it as I say I'm, I was thrilled to receive this uh, this book in the post um, and there's something so kind of minimalist about his style of prose but then also incredibly atmospheric and kind of melancholy it's eerie. very Scottish mm. it's it's very and like... I think it's really interesting how he marries the two um Really great. In fact, you know what? You're gonna get one more. It's only very it's very brief. What I'm sorry, a B. double poem. <laughs> yeah, one do, more do, from do, more. Do, do, Are you do, ready? Do. <laughs> Maybe a triple. No, no, just a double. Um this one's called Beachcomber. Monday I found a boot, rust and salt leather. I gave it back to the sea to dance in. Tuesday, a spar of timber worth thirty bob. Next winter it will be a chair, a coffin, a bed. Wednesday, a half can of Swedish spirits. I tilted my head. The shore was cold with mermaids and angels. Thursday, I got nothing. Seaweed, a whalebone, wet feet and a loud cough. Friday, I held a seaman's skull, sand spiralling from it, the way time is told on kirkyard stones. Saturday, a barrel of sodden oranges. A Spanish ship was wrecked last month at the Came. Sunday, for fear of the elders, I sit on my bum. What's heaven? A sea chest with a thousand gold coins. That's really nice, actually. That's what yeah. that's, I think might be one of my favourite poems you've read me. God, that sounds so terribly romantic. Um, <laughs> one of my one of my favourite. That's very Mr. Darcy. Yeah. <laughs> I do declare one of the finest poems you've ever read. And my real intention yeah, was to I... come here and ask if maybe one day you could possibly read me a poem. <laughs> George McKay Brown, everyone. Fantastic stuff. I urge you to um, delve into I shall his include depths. a link in the description to um, a re- sort of resources to do with him. Mm. Well, do. no choral piece of the week, but a poem of the week. Um, I'll have to... Well, maybe we need a new jingle. I don't know. Well, this could be perhaps this could be a, an, an invitation for for readers of the podcast. If you've got an idea of of what a poet poet kind of what could we call it? I don't want it just to be unemployment poem corner. of the week. Could be unemployment corner. <laughs> poets corner is that we did we did an episode on poets we did corner. Do, do you yes, recall? That's true. Answers on a postcard. What we... about poets corner verse vestibule? Um, well versed. Mm, well versed. Yeah. I think we should let the readers decide. Yeah, I think we should. I think you're right. So, answers on a postcard. Do email us at spongyelectric.gmail.com. We do genuinely love to hear from you. Like, it's it's my favourite part we of really every do. show, honestly. Just a brief foray into Critics Corner. Have you come across Night Stalker on Netflix? I've heard of it, but I've not watched it. It's a four-part um, documentary true crime thriller thing about the serial killer, Richard Ramirez, who was known as the Night Stalker. His highly publicised home invasion crime spree terrorised the residents of the greater Los Angeles area and later the residents of the San Francisco Bay area from June 1984 until August 1985. I've not watched any TV for so long. Um, I've just... I'm not. I'm not entirely. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why. I've just sort of fallen out of the habit. I guess. I mean, it's something that Pixel Girl and I are really keen to watch. One Division. Oh yeah, I'm keen to watch that actually. Uh, because if nothing else, I see like I haven't actually seen any spoilers for it on Twitter. But you know, like an episode comes out and the discussion is always like, I have no idea what any of these things mean. And even like I know the premise of the show. I don't understand how like what people are posting fits into it at all yeah so it's i'm just kind of i'm I'm just curious i guess more than anything else Mm. i don't have anything to talk about in terms of film or tv but something that i will very also briefly mention is i have rediscovered recently the wonder that is star wars battlefront 2 the 2005 edition so not the ea remake but the original lucasarts one and um the other day uh, myself and the back row so uh hugo danvey and uh, Ed Dunn and uh, inc- actually including special guest Tia Zoo joined us for the stream oh nice um, we, dis- we discovered um, a-, a mod that was the HD remaster 
Uh, it's called the Battlefront 2 Remaster Project. Um, and it basically reskins the entire game. It makes it look crisp and uh, um, fully textured and it updates the sounds. And honestly, it's literally a whole new game. It is. Uh, it made me genuinely emotional playing it uh, with the whole thing. Because I think when you play a game like this so much as a child, well, teenager Mm. um you have this quite clear memory in your head of what it looks like but obviously you know that it doesn't look as good as you remember it being you know because you 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 have rose-tinted glasses and you just sort of fill in the gaps in your head um when especially when you're a kid but playing it with this remaster makes it look better than i remember it ever looking and so it kind of like has this it puts you in that childish frame of mind again just discovering something of pure joy Mm. um I can't really put it into words. It, it was it was just wonderful. And if, if people remember playing Battlefront 2, I'll include a link to the mod in the description because you can buy it on Steam and it's like £5. It's very cheap. Um, and it's absolutely worth downloading the mod, read the documentation, install it. And yeah, we'll be playing with it on stream next week, actually. Uh, we'll be doing uh, a modded stream. So definitely check that out. But it's just... ah. Oh. I can't remember. We, I think we talked about it, and you didn't play it as a kid. Yeah, I've never, right? I've never played it. So good. We got Pixel Girl in on the stream um, to try and play, and she mostly just stood in one spot and threw grenades at her people on her team. But brilliant. Uh, other than that, it seemed to go very, very so she, well. So she had a great time. Oh yeah, she was loving life. <laughs> so yes, that's my that's my t- pick for Critics Corner. Uh, the review of Battlefront Two Remaster is good. Five stars. Superb. You know what's not five stars, Dan? Oh, I do. I really do. Top lad! Not our patrons. <laughs> yeah, that actually definitely makes it sound like we're saying our patrons are like one star. Would not recommend. Our patrons are our, our patrons are king. The user interface of Patreon, however, entirely plebeian Dan, we are of course in patreon corner uh, and uh patreon is the service that uh entirely funds this podcast we don't have any other income at the moment um we would like to be posting stuff on sponge and electric but of course pandemic is still a thing we cannot see each other so we do have a whole load of money that you guys have given us that we are really keen to spend and we have dan has so many miniatures in his house that we've set aside for a video and not just because i'm tiny and live in a comically small house but actually miniature bottles of um yeah. of of booze and uh, we're going to be filming a video of us trying from I don't know how many episodes ago it was the, uh, the various liquors of the world um, including Unicum which I'm quite excited about which is a, um, a, a, a flashback to Freshers Week that no one no one needs to uh, remember. <laughs> So, so we've got that, and then uh, there's, there's basically we'd love to use this stuff, the, the, these funds for other for other things such as merchandise, but we do need to get our act together on that one. But most importantly, it does fund um, our hosting, and it does uh, it will hopefully soon pay for an editor because I'm editing the episodes at the moment, and uh, it'll be nice to be able to help somebody out from the community to you know get some editing experience. So if you are listening to this and you'd like to get some experience editing the show, then we can um, absolutely afford to pay you a reasonable fee for doing so. Um, um, but Dan, do you, would you like to say thank you to anybody in particular in, in Patreon? I really would. I'd like to say an enormous thank you to our top dogs, um, the the clear pet uh, supreme supporter. So without further ado, I'd like to say... It's like Doctor Strange, <laughs> but instead of Sorcerer Supreme, it's Pet Supreme. Indeed. I'd like to say thank you to... Oh, here we go. Aaron Kari Augustin, Andrian Na... Oh golly, these are really why are these they're new supporters and they're really hard to say. I wasn't I wasn't ready. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you people support our work Andrian, and have inconvenient uh, names. Naf Laroch Hasse Hansen, Aaron Jorgensen, Remnar, Lexi at Front Desk, Eve Sharples, Alistair Fortune, Peter Reed, Maggie, Colin J. Brown, Codzo, Ben McMurtry, Jay Wright, and Eric Bolliger. Thank you so much. Can you tell when he reached the bit where you know he knew the names already? Yeah. Slick, slick. I would like to say thank a very special thank you to the people who are actually the pet supreme. Um, I did have Jasmine in here. 
uh, funnily enough, just a moment ago. Um, but I would like to thank the people who support us at the Wikicast uh, Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the Wikicast as top cats. I'd like to thank Elliot Conway, Oliver, Violet Hatch, Abu El Ella, the physics boy, Simon P, Jack Easton, Izzy Christie, Tom Withington, Nafi Iftikar, Christopher Betterton, River Ward, Layla Medina, Oliver Craigie, Will Jenis Humphreys, Rents Kirk, Oliver Burkhart, Easy, Omar Miranda, Cole Mansfield, Princess Andromeda, Choco Cat, Bendant, Isabel Ostrowski, Matt McGuire, and the one, the only, the boy whose lungs are actually starting to function kind of nominally now, Dan Hanvey. So it's our favourite time again. We're in correspondence, and we have an email here from Jacob. Uh, Jacob's email is titled His Dark Materials. Oh, Simon will be keen on this one. It reads, Dear Messrs. Clark and Moore, I'm a long-time reader but first-time writer. First of all, I would like to say how much I've been enjoying the podcasts of late if they have helped me get through my uni work during this second lockdown. Upon the recommendation of Dr. Clark, I've begun watching his dark materials. This is something I never read as a child, and I'm somewhat confused as to what the F is going on. I seem to remember watching a film with a similar concept called The Golden Compass. I'm not sure if the source material is the same, or is it just a coincidence? But it's really, it's just coincidence, Jacob. It's, um, it's incredible. Um, no, ignore Dan. It's the, exactly the same book. It's just that one is good and one is bad. I'm not sure if the source material is the same, or it's just coincidence, but it's really bugging me. If so, I hope there are... I hope there are those warrior polar bear things. Uh, my question is, if you lived in the world of his dark materials, what animal would be your little companion thing and why? Your demon. Uh, sorry, I don't yes, know their names. Keep up the good work with the pod um, and love your videos. Simon, particularly enjoyed the Warhammer 40k vid and good luck, Dan, in your new adventures Woo! as a law student. Um, just watch Suits and I'm sure you'll be fine. Team Dog for the win. Jacob, aged 1.0418 times 10 to the power of seven days and counting. Oh, we haven't had a standard form age in a while. That's that's I like that. Marvelous. Um, yes. So uh, his dark materials it is the same as the Golden Compass, but the Golden Compass only adapted the first book badly, um, and the the TV series is much better. Just just forget the film. It's fine. Um, do you know what your demon would be? Well, hang on. I think we've got an opportunity to do something fun here. Oh, guess what the other person's demon would be. No, no, no. I'm I'm going on to BuzzFeed. <laughs> oh, no. And we're going to do a what form would your demon take quiz. Okay, hang on. Let me... What form would your... I'm going to send it to you. Don't worry. Okay, I'm going to make a prediction. I think your demon would be a bird of some kind, like a sparrow hawk. Yeah, probably something like that. Maybe just a sparrow. Maybe. I think a bird is probably right. See, the thing that we could do another time is like see what our Patronus would be, which would be pretty cool. Oh God! Because I've been now. I, I remember my friend Claire, who listens to the show, um, told me once that my demon would be a, a hare or a rabbit. I think because I just have a whole load of nervous energy constantly. Yeah, um, I can see yours being so, a hare actually. Whereas I'm, I, 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 when I was a kid, I definitely imagined it being like a black cat because my my pet Henry was a black cat, and I've thought of him as my demon. So this is going to be quite interesting, actually. Okay, I'm going to go through this. So, what are you like at parties? Um, I avoid big parties. <laughs> you know how often with these quizzes, it's like the first option is always like Slytherin. The, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's like sli- the Slytherin option. Uh, uh, how do you react to this? Bravely, yeah. smartly, yeah. connivingly. <laughs> oh, for God's sake! What have you got? I've got a dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> It's gone full circle. Oh, for heaven. How does that work? How can you have a dolphin as your demon? <laughs> Hang on. Uh, Presumably I'd I... have to kind of wheel it around in a tank. Oh, uh, yes. Or you'd live by the sea, I guess. Or on a boat. I got a husky. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Right, so I got skip of the bush dolphin. Again, full circle. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Well... <laughs> Jacob, there's your answer. <laughs> Thanks for emailing. We have another email here uh, from Riley Stray. So this is to uh, called uh, Subject Korean and Poetry. It reads, Dearest Simon Bolivar and Danny Boy, On the previous episode of the Wikicast, an interesting linguistic example in Korean was brought up. I don't speak Korean, but the notion of younger speakers changing the language to be more inclusive made me think about something related to my own research project in phonetics. In English, we create acronyms by taking the first letter of each word and mashing them together like scuba. 
Do you know what scuba uh, stands for, by the way? No, but is the first is the S stand for sub? Nope. Oh. Self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. Oh, there you go. That one's for free. Um, uh, in Korean, however, my understanding is that rather than taking the first letter of a word like we do in English, they'll take the first whole syllable or sound. So this allows careers. Uh, this allows speakers of Korean to create acronyms much more productively than in English, where sometimes the acronyms don't work because the sounds don't work next to each other. So taking Korean's acronym rules on scuba could be something like Selkond Unbriap. Selkond Unbriap. I see. Which, I uh, see. Brackets. I apologize for that horrible example, but I hope it makes my point. No, no, no. As far as, horrible, as, far, as far as horrible examples to make points go, you've had to sit through the skip story, so it's fine. You'll be all right. <laughs> Oh god, that's going to go down in in, in the wiki cast. Somebody edit the wiki um, to add the skip story where this podcast belongs, yeah. of course. Yeah. Because Korean creates acronyms so productively, it means that new words can be made all the time, creating a dichotomy in the language where older speakers and younger speakers can use very different words to each other. My research project is citing a study that looked at young and old speakers of Korean and found that young speakers kept saying old words were far less understandable than young speakers saying young words. So instead of a young-old contrast like the Korean study, we're looking at a British-American contrast with super-stereotypical sentences like the quarterback threw the ball and the goalkeeper blocked the football to see how English speakers process different accents in their mind. Hmm. Our results support the idea that listeners have a harder time understanding American speakers saying British sentences than Americans saying American sentences. Interesting. So I thought the readership might enjoy a scientific application of something casually brought up on the podcast. I shall conclude my email by saying that I mostly did this research project to support my endeavours in applying to grad programmes, a decision inspired by Simon's PhD vlogs all those years ago. Thanks for the non-tent, as always, and henceforth shall bless you with a terrible poem. If a podcast had corners, that makes it a tetrahedral. But there's nothing quite as edgy as hooking up with a married woman at Exeter Cathedral. <laughs> Very good. Riley, superb work. Well, no, we're talking about the one that got a uh, hand job outside the, on the Cathedral Green, remember? Yeah, wasn't that Ed, though? That wasn't Ed Dunn. Oh. <laughs> Who was that, then? I don't know. It was, some, it was an anonymous <laughs> email. Oh, <laughs> Liv, oh, it was Ed. Liv thought it was Ed Dunn. <laughs> well, I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. You I'm never so know. Why are you icing Ed like this? That's really mean. <laughs> also, look at how big the hole in my jeans has got. Oh, my God, Simon! <laughs> oh, dear. Why are you not wearing pants? I am wearing pants. They've fallen out. And finally, we have an email here from Simone, uh, and it is titled Hamilton is Bad. What? It, it reads, Dear Simon and Dan, I feel compelled to write today because while I was reading the latest Wikicast episode on my walk, I instinctively shouted no during Simon's effusive praise of Hamilton, causing a passing runner to give me a funny look. Simon, I love you, but I downright disagree with you, with your and many others unequivocally positive assessment of Hamilton. And here is why. Point one, content wise, I, um, I doubt I need to explain some of the race related omissions in the story. Hamilton and the other founding fathers owned slaves and enacted violence against indigenous people and celebrating them without mentioning this feels icky to me two yeah i'm not going to disagree with that hamilton's pro-immigrant narrative is actually a harmful reductive one it says that hamilton an immigrant from the caribbean was successfully was successful simply because he worked hard this glosses over the racial and institutional difficulties that immigrants face in the united states and reduces the immigrant experience down to try harder I don't know how... I get what you're saying, but I feel like the whole thing with Hamilton is it's kind of reclaiming a part of American mythology so that it's not just old white dude. Was it stale, pale, and male? Like, part of the thing is giving these roles to people and setting it in the music of descended from immigrants. Mm. And so descended from people who are not like the Founding Fathers. And I do agree that it definitely simplifies the story. Um, but I feel like the sort of the racial and institutional difficulties, like, I absolutely do not deny that they are there. They are a very, very serious problem. But I feel like kind of the whole point of the show is that it's trying to transcend... It, it, it's basically trying to take the framing and use that framing of using hip-hop music and casting people of colour in the show to kind of 
reclaim that yeah that mythos that american mythos and in a way kind of overshadow those structural differences by saying what if things are different but i do i totally get where they're coming from and finally simone says the music is overrated. I've enjoyed much of Lin Manuel Miranda's other work, but a lot of the songs in Hamilton have the same flow, and I find the whole soundtrack pretty boring as a result. This is much more of a personal preference thing, though, I suppose. All that said, Hamilton's yeah, that's not, definitely something I disagree with. not all bad. It started necessary conversations about racial representation on Broadway, gave jobs and success and fame to a lot of people of colour, and overall, the original cast is fantastic. I just wish they'd gotten something more interesting to do. Anyway, I don't necessarily hate Hamilton, and I don't want to shame anyone for liking it. Obviously, it's possible to like something, but also be aware of some problems. Dan, just know that for whatever my opinion is worth, don't let Simon or anyone else bully you into watching it. Thanks. Thank you so much um, for your exemplary content. As always, glad to have you back. Best wishes. Simone, age 24 and 5 104ths. Ooh, nice. So, Simon, what have we learned today? Well, Dan, we've learned a great many things, including that you have a, a dolphin demon. Skippy the dolphin kangaroo. Yeah, Skippy the bush dolphin. Um, and I have uh, I have told you about Kaplu Palace, which is a lovely building in uh, northern Pakistan. And I am sure I have mispronounced everything in this article and probably made some colossal faux pas. But I really like it. I, I think this is a, a, a lovely building and I would encourage people to have a look at it. Uh, what else have we learned? Well, we learned... As, as wandering tangents go, we went from that to some poetry by George McKay Brown. Uh, we had mm. a chat about a very long and wandering skip analogy to try and <laughs> demonstrate this idea of the postal rule and my discoveries in contract law and tort law and everything that's going on there. We had some brilliant uh, correspondence. and Including uh, something that we, I think we're going to tease for next week. The the one and only uh, Benjamin Ashton, aka Smashton, on our, on the XCOM playthrough, uh, has written us a fan fiction. Uh, and we, we've basically run out of time to do it today, but next episode we'll be reading that out. And I'm it's a forty Warhammer forty thousand based one, so I'm so looking forward nice to superb. it. And that's all for this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice. Join the Discord, and if you'd like to see our faces, check out our YouTube channel, Spongy and Electric. Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them. And other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Join us again for another tumble down the wiki rabbit hole. And we'll we'll see you you next time. time. Matt McGuire and the one, the only, the boy whose lungs are actually starting to function kind of nominally now, Dan Hanvey. And that's all for this week's episode. Don't forget to... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was just... Brilliant. I don't know why my, I, my brain literally checked out. Again. Yeah, yeah. I, I was kind of... I, was, uh, I wasn't sure what you, if you were, like, leaving me a space to kind of go... Yeah. <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just didn't. And then, and then we had a big, uh, big load of silence. Bit of dead air. Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> Fantastic.